It's good to be with you on this, this cold winter Sunday morning to worship God together in this place. Today we're continuing our series for the season of Epiphany, in which each week we're, we're discovering a different way that God and Christ has been revealed to us in Scripture. Um, even though sometimes, and in, in, particularly in Mark's Gospel, Jesus is a little more secretive about who he is, we still find more and more about who God and Christ is for us. Today we'll do this by, by exploring the passage of Jesus calling his first disciples in Mark's gospel. So friends, I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the first chapter of Mark's gospel, beginning with the 14th verse. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent. And believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were mending who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm a big fan of the hit television show Shark Tank. Anyone else a Shark Tank fan? I mean, who doesn't like to pretend to be an armchair venture capitalist every now and then, right? And Shark Tank's the show where, where entrepreneurs uh, come and pitch their idea or their product or their business to a group of seasoned investors, otherwise known as the Sharks. I have a lot of fun watching this show and, and also debating and arguing with the TV whether a product is or isn't good or worthwhile, whether a deal that's met is or uh, is not a good deal for the shark or the business owner. It's a lot of fun to do that and think I have all the answers and know best with my next to, to little business knowledge. But I think there's a deeper reason I like the show and I think a deeper reason why the show has resonated with so many people for, for well over a decade on television now. And that's because every week you see this these handful of in, uh, entrepreneurs uh, and business owners coming on and pouring out their passion in front of these sharks. As they pitch their idea, their business, their product, you can see it is evident that they are pouring their very selves, their very souls into this endeavor. It's really moving to see people's passions unfold, to see people doing what they love, what they were born to do. We get their why their mission statement, their, their mode of being. In our text today, we get a little bit of this. We, we get this, this sense of passion pouring forth, as well as the why. We get Jesus' own why statement, his own mission statement, I would call it, at the very beginning of our text. Jesus begins his ministry in Mark's gospel as John the Baptist's ministry ends, or really as he's arrested. Jesus begins his ministry, Mark tells us, by going throughout Galilee and proclaiming everywhere he can his stump speech, 
his mission statement, his why. What is that? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. That's a pretty loaded sentence and statement, isn't it? When Jesus says the time is fulfilled, there's something interesting going on here. There are two words for time in Greek um, that, that you see in the New Testament. There's chronos, which is time that can be measured by minutes and hours and days, the kind of time you use your watch to tell. That's chronos. The other kind is kairos. Kairos can't be measured in minutes and hours and days. It can only be measured in moments. It can be measured in eras seasons. This is time as God sees it. So it's really important to note when Jesus says the time is fulfilled, he says the kairos is fulfilled. What does he mean by that? He means that the kingdom of God has come near. God's kairos is dawning. God's kingdom is, is taking shape on earth as it is in heaven. How do you respond to this kairos taking shape, this kingdom being formed on earth? Repent and believe in the good news. Good news, gospel. Now, often when we hear the word repent, we think to be sorry, to be mournful, to to be in sorrow. The the word for repent in Greek that that Jesus uses here is metanoia. And it quite... uh, more appropriately be understood as a complete transformation of transforming one's mind, of wrapping one's mind around this thing taking shape. So when Jesus says, repent uh, and believe in the good news, he's really saying, wrap your mind around this. God's kairos, God's kingdom is taking shape here among us. This is Jesus' why. This is his mission statement. This shapes his whole ministry. And it's certainly the statement that's, that's prevalent as Jesus goes right from this to call his first disciples. In our text, we see him call four of the eventual twelve, two sets of brothers, Andrew and Simon, who will soon get the nickname Rock, Peter, or Rocky, as well as James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who Jesus also gives the nickname Sons of Thunder in Mark. I like Sons of Thunder better than than Rocky, personally. But all four of these, these gentlemen, these two sets of brothers, were fishermen. And so Jesus finds them on the job while they're fishing, walking along the Sea of Galilee and calls out to them, Follow me. Follow me. And Mark dramatically says that they drop everything. They drop their nets and they follow him. James and John even leave their father Zebedee in the boat, presumably swimming to shore to to go and follow Jesus. It's an amazing sight, isn't it? We're in awe by the the disciples' faith and action, their, their willingness to drop everything and follow They are paragons of faith in in the church's imagination. Now, I've preached this text a number of times in my ministry, and the more I hear this passage, the more I think we as the church do a little bit of disservice to ourselves 
when we talk about these four fishermen as paragons of faith. Because their actions are hard to emulate. They're hard to identify with. It's hard for us to, to see what these disciples do and dropping everything to follow him and think that's something we too could do as well. We think, surely I don't have a deep enough faith to do what these four disciples did. I don't have the deep and abiding faith to drop everything and follow Jesus. The disservice, I think, comes, friends, when we do this, is that we limit the sense of call and the sense of discipleship to just the 12 disciples. Or more commonly in my experience in the church, we limit this understanding of call and discipleship to those in professional ministry, whether it's pastors or missionaries or other folks who who serve the church professionally. This is such a disservice. Because think of Jesus' why statement, his mission statement. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, believe in the good news. This call, this call for discipleship to follow him, to live into his kingdom, is a call that's given to everyone. As Presbyterians, we say that the call to discipleship, to to ministry, to participating in the church, in the work of God's kingdom, is given to all of us in our baptism. All of us are called to participate to follow him. Friends, I think the good news in this text is despite the church's imagination and telling of the story, the disciples here don't have it all figured out. Their faith isn't quite what we tell ourselves it is. Because as the gospel unfolds, we'll see time and time again that they fall short. They mess up. They don't get who Jesus truly is. They often are more closely resembled to the stooges than the disciples. In fact, so much so that one of my New Testament professors says, particularly in Mark's gospel, it'd be better to call them the disciples rather than the disciples because they just don't get it. They struggle and struggle and struggle with understanding who Jesus is and what he's about. Friends, that's good news for us. When we think we don't have it all figured out, it is okay. We are still called to drop our nets and follow Jesus just as we are. The theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer says of this passage and of the disciples that rather than being paragons of faith, they model for us that obedience precedes faith. Or in other words, that As you follow, as you follow Jesus, as you you take your journey of discipleship, you will understand Jesus more and more. Your understanding of him and of who God and Christ is for us will grow and develop and shape and form. It's a good reminder that you don't have to have it all figured out in order to follow Jesus. And our disciples in our text here are the perfect examples of that of the power of simply following Jesus. Faith and understanding faith to be a process or a journey. Another thing in the text that I think is is a great reminder for us and and, an interesting thing to point out is when Jesus calls these fishermen, what does he ask them to do? He asks them to become fishers 
of people. Fishers of people. The Greek word there, the, the, the verb form, would be more um, accurately translated, I think, not I will make you fishers of people, but rather I will help form you. I will help you grow into becoming fishers of people. Jesus here is embracing who these four fishermen are. He's embracing their experience, their gifts, their interests. And it's a great reminder to us, friends, that as Jesus calls each of us to follow him, he calls each of us just as we are. He calls us according to our gifts, our interests, our skills, our strengths, our weaknesses, even our quirks. Jesus calls each of us just as we are to drop our nets and follow him. Jesus calls us to use our gifts, to use our interests and our passions in ways that, um, that can proclaim the kingdom, that can live into Jesus' why statement, proclaiming the good news and, and the nearness of God's kingdom taking shape here on earth among us. Friends, we too are called to fish for people. How might you use your profession or your hobbies or your interests or your skills in ways that can proclaim the good news of God's love for us in Christ? It reshapes everything just as it did for these fishermen of how can you use your gifts and skills but also embrace your weaknesses and quirks in ways that, that can bring about God's kingdom and share his love with the world who so desperately needs to hear it. Friends, my favorite example of someone who did this is, of course, Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers responded to God's call to ministry not by doing what I'm doing and serving a church as a pastor, but rather he responded to God's call by using his experience in television and his love of children to create what we know today as Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Fred Rogers was ordained as a Presbyterian minister, but never served a church. His show was his pulpit. He used his gifts and his interests and, and experience in a way that could proclaim God's love and neighborly peace to children for generations. One of Fred's um, closest friends and mentors in his professional life was a child psychologist named Dr. Margaret McFarland. He learned so much from her about working with children, would often even um, go to her for help with how to phrase something when he's broaching a difficult subject, um, and, and just general advice on how to frame a show in a way that would be life-giving and edifying for, for children. One of the biggest lessons uh, Fred says he ever learned from Dr. McFarland was uh, when he observed her uh, leading a program for children. Um, this is accounted in one of his biographies. Fred said that he um, witnessed Dr. McFarland have this program for children in which they invited a sculptor to come and, and do a demonstration for the kids. He noted that Dr. McFarland gave very careful instructions to the sculptor. She told the man, I don't want you to tell the kids what you're doing. I don't care if you teach them what you're doing. I simply want you to sculpt, to love the clay, is what she said. She simply wanted this man to demonstrate his art 
and his passion for the kids. Not by teaching them how to do it or explaining it away, but just showing his passion and love for what he does. To have that be, um, to have that passion, that, that energy, that life uh, transfer onto the kids. To see someone do what they love, to see someone do what they're called to do. Or to put it in Dr. McFarland's words, to just simply love the clay. I think that's such a beautiful image for our text today as we go out and try to fish for people, as we try to respond to God's call to discipleship by using our gifts, our experiences, um, but also embracing our strengths, our weaknesses, our quirks, that we might find our own way to proclaim God's love for us in Christ. To fish for people, to love the clay. Friends, my favorite quote on call and vocation is from the theologian Howard Thurman. He says this, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and then do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Friends, may we seek to follow our Lord through the things which make us come alive. May we find ways to fish for people, to love the clay, to use our gifts and our experiences and our passions in a way that can proclaim God's love for us in Christ. And like the disciples, may we trust that as we follow, God and Christ will continue to be revealed to us and our understanding of God's love for us in Christ will continue to grow and develop and shape. Amen.